So what do you, what do you think that we either, either personally or as brands or as personal brands or whatever are getting wrong with social media right now? I think, um, and it, it's largely because of the way the platforms have demanded it. Um, we've taken an ad driven approach to social. We've, we've taken what was supposed to be this, the promise of a two way communications network of, of these platforms. And we've turned it into yet another advertising platform. It's what Facebook demands. It's what Twitter demands. Um, Hey, buy ads. We're, we're, we're so saturated in our, our news feeds that we need to dictate what the algorithm looks like. And guess what brands, um, you're downgraded in that because people don't really want to hear from brands because you've been such horrible storytellers. So you're going to have to pay for the privilege of getting in front of people now. Well, okay, great. So now you interrupt people and pay to have your crappy stories in front of them instead of just telling better stories. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad you're listening today because in this episode, we hear from a keynote speaker, uh, an advisor, a strategy consultant, a husband, dad, voiceover artist, golfer, and as he calls himself, a man about town. Uh, Scott Monty is a corporate executive steeped in digital. He was actually ranked by The Economist as number one atop the list of 25 social business leaders and by Forbes as one of the top 10 influencers in social media. Uh, and Alan Mulally, uh, the CEO of Ford Motor Company, called him a visionary. And we hear some great stories in this episode about that. See, Scott ran Ford's social media and digital communications from 2008 to 2014. And during his leadership, Ford was the first company to reveal a vehicle on Facebook. And we'll talk about that. And also the first brand to join the now defunct Google Plus, uh, but definitely a visionary in that entire thing. He also has another decade and a half of experience in communications and marketing agencies. Uh, Scott's clients have included Walmart, IBM, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Google. And like I said, he is all over social media. He is a fantastic person to follow on Twitter. Uh, and today, Scott shares with the Storytellers Network his storytelling craft, his successes and stumbles, in other words, his story. And as we get into that conversation today, a friendly reminder to visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, for how to contact me, and for other resources to help you better tell your story. Uh, this hopefully is an inspiration to you, but if you want to get into some deep dives, those resources on thestorytellersnetwork.com are great for that. Hey, and if you're new, uh, text the word storytellers to 31996, and I can help you subscribe to the show. Storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. Now, Let's get to those stories. Well, thanks for joining me tonight, Scott. Uh, as I said earlier, and just our, our conversation, I appreciate you taking time to talk to the storytellers, man. It's my great pleasure from one storyteller to another, right? Absolutely. And that leads right into it. You, you wear the title of things like executive, strategist, speaker. Um, do you consider yourself a storyteller at your core? Uh, you know, I suppose I do. I mean, 
you know, I think there is a, uh, there's an element of storytelling uh, in everyone. You know, I mean, humans come from generations of storytellers, whether you like it or not. I mean, um, when, when you go back right to the dawn of human history, we were telling stories to each other in caves and around fires, whether it was through grunts or uh, writing on, on the sides of uh, cave walls. Uh, we always had this need to, uh, to share information with people in a way that was interesting and different. And, and here's the key. In, in, the, in the years before, um, before recording something via writing, uh, you know, a story had to be, um, it, it had to be handed down generation after generation or from village to village. So it had to be something that was memorable. So if you're warning someone to stay away from an area with, uh, with tigers, <laughs> for example, because, uh, because Dan uh, was out on a trek years ago and he saw his best friend Joe uh, get eaten by a tiger. Well, there's a way to convey that via storytelling. And when you don't have writing, when you don't have other means of communication, you got to do it in an interesting way. And how does that convert to today where we're not necessarily warning each other to stay away from tigers to save our lives, but we're connecting through things like social media. How has story do you think kind of evolved uh, over the years? I mean, how, how do you see that? Well, it's interesting because um, obviously now we have the ability to do, uh, well, I was going to say we have the ability to do more uh, short form content, but that isn't necessarily unique to today. I mean, think back uh, 100, 150 years when uh, the telegram was around. You know, I mean, you, you weren't writing full length letters with a telegram since you paid per word. <laughs> so uh, you found a way to be succinct. <laughs> It's kind of like the first Twitter, I think, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think what, it's, what, what we're up against right now is we live in an era where there is a, a, a severe deficit in trust, and there's also a severe deficit in attention. And when you put those two things together, that's lethal for a brand. You know, if someone doesn't trust you and they're not paying attention to you, uh, you know, if you've got one of those things, okay, but you really need both of them to succeed. And I think storytelling allows us to identify people or, or brands, uh, however we want to uh, think about it, uh, to identify those that are like us, right? That, that we can relate to in some way. I know empathy is a big uh, watchword these days. Empathy, um, authenticity, you know, these kinds of things that you hear people talking about, it's nothing new. It's stuff we were preaching 10 years ago at the advent of social media, um, but we still need it today. And then at the same time, you need to be interesting and you need to do something where you're not just talking about yourself all the time, because that's a big turnoff, you know? People want something that makes them feel like they're included in something, or like I said, like they can relate to. And if you're just standing around talking about yourself all the time, well, that's just a huge mistake, I think. Right. And do you think that empathy and authenticity are just buzzwords and cliches that have become overused because people don't know what else to, to say when they're talking about that stuff? Or is it truly we just need to be better at it so we continue to try and do it better? Well, I think they're, they're in danger of becoming overused. I don't think that devalues uh, what they stand for. Hmm. Um, I, I do think that 
it, it means that, um, that, that we need to think carefully about this and not just uh, say these things as throwaways. Uh, you know, if, if you believe in the power of empathy and authenticity, I'm sure there are lots of instances throughout your day, throughout your life, when those kinds of things either come naturally to you or they just simply make sense because that's how you act as a human being. Well, why do we forget how human beings like to be treated when we're taking on the auspices of a brand? You know, I think we, we get too wrapped up in um, being brand centric and thinking about the brand and getting out of bed and thinking, okay, what's my day about? How am I going to drive my team? What are we going to do with the brand message today? When most people are not thinking about your brand when they get up in the morning. Well, unless your brand happens to be Starbucks. <laughs> um, yeah. That's just the reality. So, so keeping that reality in mind, acknowledging that people have busy lives, have other focuses, have other priorities, and putting that into play when you're creating your messaging, when you're putting your campaign together, when you're dealing with them online. You know, it's just acting like a real human being. I like that. Acting like a real human being. Yeah, I don't know why we forget that. Yeah. It's, re it's real easy to though. So if you go back to, let's get back to social media and Ford in particular, you know, as part of your, your intro was um, talking about your experience at Ford. Did, can you look back on that time and think, I knew that social media was going to be this big. Did you have any idea it was going to be this important to businesses back then? I did. Um, that, that was part of the uh, calculus when I took the job. You know, I had interviewed for the job probably late 07, early 08. And I looked at, you know, the way I thought the, uh, the social media industry was going to mature. And I also looked at the way Ford was going to mature in its product plan. And, and I figured, you know, by, by 2010, the two lines were going to cross. And right there in the middle, you'd have this kind of lightning strike. And more or less, that's exactly how the timing worked out, where social media became, you know, really mainstream. And Ford really started hitting it out of the park with its, uh, with its business plan. So, um, you know, I mean, some of it is, is happenstance. I mean, I had, a, I had a, an inkling for this. And bottom line is I just happened to be the guy that was in the right place at the right time. But you took advantage of that and, and used it well, you know. Um, now, didn't Ford did uh, something no other automaker had done. You released uh, a new car through through Facebook, is that right? Did, uh, we, did I say that right, or like a new a new model? Yeah, we revealed, revealed. Uh, the, the 2010 or is it 2011? Um, the years are all blurring together now. We, <laughs> we revealed the new Explorer uh, on Facebook first. Yeah. Um, no car company had ever done that before. I think it was 20, 2011, 2011 Explorer. Um, this and it was in the middle of the summer, so it was off of the typical auto show cycle, right? Usually that's the, the fall uh, for uh, some of the international shows and the spring for uh, the U.S. shows. And, um, we, you know, we, we took the world by storm. We didn't have to compete for other news with other car companies as uh, you typically did at, uh, at an auto show. And, um, boy, people were uh, really intrigued with Facebook at the time. And, and again, this was, this was in uh, the summer of 2010. 
So it was uh, early days, uh, respectively, uh, with regard to Facebook. Yeah. And how do you convince uh, executives at that level, an automaker, you know, a hundred years old, steeped in tradition of like auto shows and that kind of thing. Um, how do you convince that entity to do this? And, and I ask that because I think also like even in 2018 now, or whenever somebody's listening to this, like we still have to convince brands that social media is a good idea. But 10 years ago, I mean, how did you even start that conversation? Well, I think part of it was um, Ford just had an attitude at the time of being open and transparent and bringing people along and telling the story in a way that brought people along. And we had a, a just a phenomenal leader in Alan Mullally, who was the CEO at the time. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who just embodied everything that was right about Ford and put its, uh, its new business plan in place. And when you've got leadership like that, when you've got a CEO who's leading by example, who's about inclusiveness and about um, you know, people working together, and he's about transparency, these were kind of like the tenets of social media, right? Why can't we help each other out? Why can't we share more? Why can't we uh, bring people behind the scenes to understand what's going on? So it became almost a no-brainer for us as far as a strategic imperative uh, that social, and especially because social and digital were cutting edge at the time, and Ford was really trying to help people understand that it's technology was cutting edge at the time. It was just this great parallel of culture and, and tools that went hand in hand. Yeah, that's really cool. And then what I heard you say too, Scott, was uh, stories and sharing stories. Did you, I mean, I know you did, but how did you kind of cultivate that uh, strategy of sharing users' stories, drivers' stories, fans of Ford sharing their stories? Is it, is it hard for somebody to give up uh, control over their own brand story by giving it to the users? Well, not really because Ford's story for so many years has been a story of America and, and a story of the world beyond that. Um, you know, we all know uh, the, the, the great tales of Henry Ford, how he said you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Right. He said, if I asked customers what they wanted, I would have made a faster horse. Um, you know, these, these great, whether they're apocryphal or, or actual, um, we, we had a historical figure who was steeped in the company's, uh, the company's foundings and, and, and even its, its presence. And his name is still on the logo today. You know, that, that's really the kind of that, that universal human part that just got drawn through from Ford's origins. So it became natural to, uh, to be able to be a storytelling based brand. I think where it really came to light for us was very early on after I joined the company, um, Ford was involved in the, um, the global car meltdown, mm-hmm. the car industry meltdown, the carpocalypse, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Ford and GM and Chrysler, were all hauled in front of Congress at the time, in front of uh, uh, congressional committees. And Ford was very clear that it was there on behalf of the industry. It was not there seeking any kind of government assistance at the time. And what we had to do, because people just, 
even then in social media, people saw the picture of the three CEOs in Congress and they thought, well, you're, you're all pieces of trash, right? You're all asking for a handout. And Ford had to go out there and, and, and my team in particular had to do digital hand-to-hand combat, as I like to call it, for six months, telling people what we were doing. So we created this site uh, in, in the two weeks in between we were in, in Congress. Uh, we appeared two times and there was two weeks in between that we created this site called the Ford Story. And it was designed to tell what we had been up to, you know, that we recognized that uh, the company needed to be turned around on our own. Uh, we took out our own home improvement loan to the tune of $26 billion. Uh, we, we had a plan in place, you know, let us show you what we're up to, hear from our executives, read the documents, find other people like you. So the Ford story became the centerpiece in our storytelling. After we got through that crisis point, we then changed the site to be one that actually invited people to participate, to send in your Ford story, to tell people how you bought your first car, to um, you know, to, to act more like a blog, really, and, and, and a community, an online community, than uh, just a piece of, um, you know, corporate communications, um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a crisis tool. Very authentic and transparent way to, to share that story and then turn it into the continuing uh, relationship and community. That's, that's pretty powerful. Uh, great stuff, Scott. Now, so let's shift gears a little bit. I guess maybe not that shifting gears. Maybe it's still kind of the same thing. It's the greater story. You're still very active in social media. You're not with Ford anymore. You're with uh, Brain and Trust Partners. And Actually, with- no, I'm, uh, I've left Brain Trust. Oh. And uh, I am on my own at Scott Monty Strategies once again. All right. Excellent. Well, there you yeah. go. So you're, so you're on your own and uh, taking on clients, and I would guess. Um, so you're very active in social media. How do you see social playing a part in our greater story as, as humans? Hmm. Well, I think I've, I've long said that social media is like the cocaine of uh, marketing and communications. It, it takes what you already have and it simply amplifies it. And in many ways, I think it, it represents the best and the worst of humanity. And I think we've seen this really crystallize over the last two years in a highly charged political environment. And it doesn't matter what side you're on, you know, each side has uh, great validity in their views, but people are digging in and they're digging their heels in and simply trying to stick to their side rather than using these tools, using these technologies to really help them understand the other, you know, and it's really hard to get someone to try and understand you if you don't take the time to understand them first. Right. So in some ways it's, it's caused people to, to be driven even further apart. I mean, it has, has driven this wedge even deeper between factions of groups. And, and what doesn't help is there are instances where you can hide either anonymously or pseudonymously, um, or simply, um, you know, you, you can certainly use your own name, but you feel comfortable from the safety of your own keyboard and screen rather than, you might in talking to someone face to face, the way you might engage them in front of a supermarket or on a street corner or in a workplace environment. And so in that way, it's reminded us of, you know, the great power 
of conversation, but also the the negative side of humans when we really want to when we, when we want to have our own side heard and don't want to hear anything else. And and it's so hard because we are more connected than ever, yet we're more isolated. You know that 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 vitriol comes through, but we also tend to isolate ourselves into these silos where, well, I don't like what you say on Facebook, so I'm going to never talk to you again. And it just becomes so hard. Yeah, I like what you said, Scott. About it's the best and the worst. Yeah, it's tale of two cities for us. Um, yeah. Do we have? Do you think we we who have those platforms have a responsibility to be more empathetic and authentic and not be so combative? Yeah, I, I think we do. I mean, you know, it's, um, those are traits that need to come from somewhere Mm -hmm. and somebody needs to take the first step. And it may seem, it may seem a, a, a weakness to some people to either admit defeat or invite someone else to share their opinion and listen completely openly and honestly. Um, but quite frankly, that's what we need in order to, to get through this. Um, I, I'm not sure where it's going to come from. Uh, I don't know whether we need to look to our uh, political leadership for it, whether we need to look f- to, uh, to business leaders for it. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked with is Alan Mulally, as I mentioned. And he said... And there's so much wisdom and so much of what he said, but he learned really his philosophy in business from his mom, you know, from growing up as a, as a boy in Kansas. And he said the, the, the greatest human need, and it's something we should keep in mind in business, is simply to be loved, right? And that is such a human trait. You know, it's something that I don't think any other species shares. And when you want to be loved, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to love other people. You need to love yourself, right? And, and show that kind of self-love, self-respect. But you need to extend that to other people. You know, love your neighbor as yourself kind of a thing. And, you know, I'm not trying to get religious or anything here. This, you know, this is a, just a philosophical point of view, uh, recognizing how humans have innate needs, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about from a, a person-to-person relationship standpoint or if you're talking about, you know, how people relate to each other in, in the workforce or how people even relate to brands. Brands want to be loved, right? People love to love brands, mm-hmm. but it's got to be a two-way street. And that, and that love can, I would guess, maybe take different forms. It's love, it's respect, it's attention, it's you know, uh, and, and, a, an attraction of a kind, that kind of stuff. So depending on the situation, I kind of hear you say that people want to be connected. That's exactly um, right. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And, and from a technological standpoint, boy, we've never been as connected as we have before. But the question is, when do you draw the line? You know, when is enough too much? And do you think it's an evolution too of, you know, right, right now, I mean, social media is still still kind of in, in an infancy period when it comes to technology and humans using it. It's only been 10, maybe 15 years at the most. Yeah. Are we just kind of figuring this out still? And, you know, another 10 years from now, it may look different and we may have more empathy and more connectedness. Or 
I mean, what, what do you think about that? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think we, we constantly hear from Mark Zuckerberg that it's his desire to make the world a more connected place. And, you know, you got to applaud that. that. That's a wonderful, um, that's a wonderful vision for humanity. But at the same time, you have to recognize that, you know, <laughs> even thousands of years ago, before we had all this technology, there was a reason you had warring tribes. There was a reason that people broke into factions and there probably always will be. So we're not going to have some kind of utopian kumbaya, you know, one world kind of place. I'd like to teach the world to sing if I can borrow Coca-Cola metaphor. Um, there will always be conflict that is in human nature as well. So recognizing that technology is only an enabling factor, right? It is not the solution. Humans have to be the solution themselves. And you know what, like it or not, there's always going to be some form of disagreement. There's going to be some form of, you know, I don't care whether it's, it's based in ethnicity or race or, uh, you know, any of these other isms, um, that's just who we are as a, as a species. And as ugly as it is, uh, I think we need to recognize that and recognize that technology, like I said before, is it, going to bring the worst out in people as well as the best out in people. Yeah. Something to keep in mind for sure. Yeah. So Scott, as we're talking to, as I'm talking to storytellers, uh, in the social media realm this season, um, I, I something that I've kind of pondered over quite a few interviews is can, can someone be a storyteller in just social media or do we need to have other stages and publishing platforms in this day and age? That's interesting. Um, well, look, I think if you are a, if you are a storyteller as an individual and if you have taken on the storytelling mantra for your brand, um, the platform is immaterial. You will find a way to tell your stories one way or another. Uh, you know, as, as a professional, I tell stories in boardrooms. I tell stories in meetings. I tell stories from the stage. Uh, if, if it's in you and it's a meaningful way of communicating ideas and information, uh, you'll find a way to express it. I think we're, we're blessed and cursed at the same time in having so many different ways to tell our story that you need to focus on the ones you're good at and the ones where your audience wants to, to engage with you and, and just drill down and be the best that you possibly can. You know, I'm not a video guy. I mean, I, I, I can certainly function on video, but I mean, I'm not a video creating kind of a guy. Um, I'm an audio guy. I'm, I'm a wordsmith. You know, that's what I like to do. And to, to say, Scott, you got to make videos every week. It's just not, not what I do. It's not my creative. Um, it, it, it's not it really in my creative street to do that kind of thing. I can do it if I have to, but it's not where I excel. So is writing your happy place as far as the storyteller goes, or is one of those other platforms your favorite? Yeah, I think, I think writing uh, it has always been one for me. You know, as a, as a classics major, as an undergrad, I had to write my fair share of essays. And as a communicator and marketer throughout my career, um, writing has been a big part of what I do. 
how I express ideas, whether it's in a, a pitch deck or whether it's in a blog post, you know, that's how it's expressed. And, and more recently, you know, as I've been uh, getting into uh, more of the scripted podcast approach, you know, I've, I've had a podcast or two for 12 years now. But on the business side, I haven't really had a scripted podcast until the last couple of years. And I've, I've worked on the formula there. And I've, I think I've come up with a solution uh, that works now where I write a show every week that's just five minutes long. And I write it in my voice. Right? And then I, I take what I've written as the transcript and I use that content and I publish it on my blog. Pretty much word for word, you know. And it's, that's a big part of you know, where I've, where I've come as a writer, as a communicator is getting comfortable with my own voice and just putting it out there. And, and even though you're not a video guy, what I heard you say there too, uh, during that, that part there about writing is that at least my one of my takeaways is multi-platform, multimedia, maybe even audio writing blog. You probably use it in Twitter a little bit. So, so being able to test different platforms, that's probably a good idea then, huh? As a storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to yeah. see what works. There's, there's um, you know, it's funny. I saw, um, and I realize this is late. Uh, there was a, a, a Twitter thread between two uh, uh, kind of sci-fi fantasy writers uh, that went out last summer, the summer of uh, 2017. And it was basically one of them starting on a premise that, uh, he was involved as a as a camp counselor, and there was a serial killer on the loose. And they went back and forth. And and you know the other writer said, "Well, are are you sure the serial killer isn't you?" You know, and they they walk through the whole scenario. Well, and and it happened over the course of I don't know, you know, like seventy tweets between the two of them. And you follow the thread, and you're like, "My God, this is a great story." Well, it was so great, in fact that the sci-fi channel saw it and, and picked it up as a premise for uh, a, a, a film. You know, you might be a serial killer if. And it's like, holy cow, who expected that something that started on Twitter, just as a conversation really, would turn into a full-blown screenplay and produced film for television? Yeah. You know? so, so you gotta be comfortable on a lot of different platforms, experimenting, seeing what works in different places. I mean, could you sit down and write a script like this as, as a writer and hand it into a TV executive? Yeah, sure. But everybody does that. To say, hey, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna do a script live. We're, we're gonna do kind of improv here and then take that thread and encapsulate it and say, hey, here's our idea. This is how it works. What a fascinating and creative way to share the same story. That's exciting as a storyteller to to hear stories like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, so on the flip side, that's a really good story. On the flip side, what about bad ones? Did you ever have anything either at Ford or any other marketing things where a social media story really kind of fell flat and you thought, boy, that didn't work? Um, yeah, probably. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what they might've been there. You know, it happens all the time. You know, there, there are more, uh, strikeouts than there are home runs. Hmm. You know, I mean, even the greatest, uh, the greatest batters, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Ted Williams uh, batted what 400 in his best season. 
that's still six times you're striking out every time you're up at the plate, every, every 10 times you're up at the plate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we had our fair share of strikeouts and it usually, and I'm, I'm not remembering any single one. And this is the reason they weren't memorable stories. They, they weren't emotionally charged. They didn't, uh, you know, strike at a universal human truth. They didn't make people laugh. They didn't, they didn't challenge assumptions. It was just, Hey, look at us. We're so great. Uh, why? Well, we just launched whatever, you know, and, and you run into those and you're like, well, you win some, you lose some. Yep. Absolutely. Dust off and learn from it and move on. Right. Always, always yeah. testing. That's what we call that. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fail fast. Fail fast. <laughs> that's right. So what do you, what do you think that we either, either personally or as brands or as personal brands or whatever are getting wrong with social media right now? I think, um, and it, it's largely because of the way the platforms have demanded it. Um, we've taken an ad-driven approach to social. We've, we've taken what was supposed to be this, the promise of a two-way communications network of, of these platforms, and we've turned it into yet another advertising platform. It's what Facebook demands. It's what Twitter demands. Um, hey, buy ads. We're, we're, we're so saturated in our, our news feeds that we need to dictate what the algorithm looks like. And guess what, brands? Um, you're downgraded in that because people don't really want to hear from brands because you've been such horrible storytellers. So you're going to have to pay for the privilege of getting in front of people now. Well, okay, great. So now you interrupt people and pay to have your crappy stories in front of them instead of just telling better stories with regularity. And here's the thing. If you're doing this well, it, this, one of the reasons I think that, you know, I, I talked about that low batting average or the, you know, mediocre batting average is because when you're constantly trying to crank out story after story after story, that's hard. You know, even the best writers, even Stephen King, you know, when he puts out his compilations or, or uh, you know, the, an aggregation of short stories, those take time to craft. And if you're going to tell stories well, you need to pick and choose what you're going to talk about. Quality, and I know this is such a cliche, but quality is so much more important than quantity when it comes to storytelling. So don't barrage me with 50 mediocre stories that you've paid Facebook to put in front of my face. Work diligently on five stories that are really resonant with who I am as a customer or who I am as a human being. And if that stuff takes off because people genuinely like it, then guess what? You'll need to spend less media to get it in front of more people. It will have naturally gained some momentum and you just, you spike it with some media spend here and there. Yeah. So it's a smarter, more efficient way of thinking about your media budget than just spray and pray. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I could, I could sit all night and strategize with you and just listen. Um, but I, but I won't do that to you, uh, but I appreciate your time. But before you go, I want to ask this one. Um, if somebody said to you, all right, Scott, we're all done telling stories. You can't do it anymore professionally. You can't be a storyteller, but you've got one last one you can go out on. What would that story look like for you, do you think? Oh, my gosh. I, I, to not tell stories. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the way our humanity. Um, 
Oh, boy. You know, one of the, this is one of the stories I've shared for many, many years. And it's one that I think tells, uh, tells a great deal about the leadership that I dealt with at Ford. It was December of 2008. And for, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the communications team at Ford was hosting a media scrum, a, 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 a media event, uh, the month prior to the big Detroit Auto Show. And all of the media were in town, about 200 of them. And they were getting briefed on the cars that we were launching. And the, the double doors to the showroom burst open and in walk Alan Mullally, the CEO, and Bill Ford, the chairman, the great grandson of Henry Ford. Shoulder to shoulder, these two giants of the industry walk in. And, you know, they were immediately surrounded by everyone. It was just, you know, kind of like the, I'm dating myself here, but the, uh, the old Bugs Bunny cartoon where the hounds uh, are chasing after uh, the, the rabbit. And, they, you know, they're just all in a clump, right? And they're kind of moving along there together. And I, I, I was tweeting at the time, you know, just to my own audience. This is before Ford had a, a well-established Twitter account. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, Bill Ford and Alan Mulally just walked in the room and somebody from my Twitter audience, God bless them, they said, hey, can you get them to answer any questions on Twitter? And I go, oh, it's fascinating. I never thought of doing that before, like kind of a play-by-play -play or an interview through Twitter. Uh, and again, December of 08, very early days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where Twitter felt like a village. <laughs> so I went up to Alan's uh, communications director and I said, Hey, do you think Alan would take some questions from the Twitter audience? Like he is from these, these uh, media uh, after he's done. She goes, yeah, catch him when he comes out. So the scrum breaks, Alan comes out uh, and I go, Hey, Alan, he goes, Hey Scott, how you doing? He's just friendliest guy, you know, really made, made it a point to know you. Uh, and I said, Alan, uh, we've got some folks that would like you to take questions on Twitter. Would you do that? And he goes, Oh, absolutely. What's wow. Twitter? <laughs> What's Twitter? <laughs> so, you know, I explained to him and he goes, Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. So right there, I saw that we had a leader who he got in his spirit. He, un he understood the power of communication. It didn't matter what platform it was. He wanted to participate. So, we, uh, we went through about five or six questions and then a question came up and said, what kind of car does Alan drive? And I go, uh Oh, this might be like a security issue. Like, I don't know if he's got like guards that are with him all the time and they, they don't make his route known or whatever. Right. And, um, and I turned to his communications director. I go, can we, can we ask him this? And she goes, watch this, ask him. I go, all right, Alan, what kind of car do you drive? Scott and he grabs he grabs my arm and he shakes it emphatically with with every word. He goes, I drive a different car every day. And I go, Oh, that's awesome. You drive the whole lineup of all the Ford Lincoln uh, vehicles. And he and he tightens his grip on my wrist and he goes, No, I drive the competition too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Right. I mean, because at the time, the Detroit automakers were thought to be so myopic and so in their own lane 
that they didn't care about what the rest of the world was doing. And the fact that Alan took the time to have competitors' cars delivered to him so he could see what they were doing and he could ensure that Ford could beat them at it was revolutionary. And it was all because he was willing to answer questions on Twitter. Man, that's incredible. That's a, that's a story to go on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, Scott. Time. Every time. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, thanks so much for your time. Where, where's the best way to people to find you? You can find me at scottmonte.com and I'm Scott Monty on every social network you can think of. Perfect. We'll put some links in the show notes, man. Appreciate your time tonight. All right, Dan. It's my great pleasure. Thank you. All right. So once again, a huge thank you to Scott Monty for joining me today. Uh, be sure to visit him online. You can find all those links he mentioned in those show notes. Uh, and if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it all over, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, email it to somebody, text it, uh, hit the little share button on Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you can share it with other storytellers is always helpful and very much appreciated. And if you're new, text storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.